the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Opinions expressed in the following program may not reflect those of Salem Media of Colorado or its sponsors. This is Life in Colorado, a radio news magazine about the issues, events, and the unique life we live in the Centennial State. Keep on in Colorado. Hello and welcome. This week we're going to take a closer look at something that we typically try to look away from, modern day slavery, also known as human trafficking. In 2010, the International Labor Organization estimated that more than 40 million men women and children were trafficked globally. And as a major metropolitan area, this is a Colorado problem. Our look at human trafficking will be a two-part examination. We speak with CEO of Made for Freedom, Don Mansky. Thank you so much for joining us, Don. Oh, thank you for having me. Good to be here. In my research, one of the things that I keep coming across is sort of a, a bit of denial. So we're going to hit it with the basics. How did you get started with the fight against human trafficking? What made you step up? You know, I lived in China for 10 years. And I, while I was living in Beijing, I saw this firsthand. I saw kids on the street corners begging for money. And, and I just thought they were begging for money. And I would give them food on occasion. But I saw these kids regularly. And a friend of mine actually was starting a school for street children. And she explained to me, most of these kids, in fact, all of these kids had come from very poor areas of China and their families had agreed to let this person that they were familiar with, we we will call them a boss, Mm -hmm. but actually it's a trafficker. Mm -hmm. But this boss would be known in the community or in these villages and they would come to families that were desperate and say, you know what, if I take your child to the big city, they can get a good job and they can make a lot of money. And these people are in desperate situations and they agree to let their children go with these people. Well, they become forced labor. They become slave labor for these bosses or these traffickers who send them out on the streets to beg, and any money that they bring in gets given to the boss. And these kids are physically abused, they're sexually abused, while they're being used as slave labor. So I'm seeing this, and I get to know some of these kids, and I'm understanding the concept. Well, I moved back to the United States, and while I was in grad school, I actually was at a lunch, an information lunch, And I saw a video of an undercover reporter that went into Cambodia asking in the back streets and alleys for the youngest girls he could find. And it just ripped my heart out. And I thought, what kind of world are we living in that there are little girls, you know, growing up like this? There are men asking for this. And there are men and women involved in making little girls grow up like this. And what they did was 
this man had like a camera on. He was undercover. They didn't know they were being recorded, but they ushered in about seven girls, and they looked like they ranged from age 7 to 13. And these girls were brought in for this man to choose from. And it just made me sick. And I thought, what can I possibly do? And that, I think, was when I realized this is not just an issue on the street corner in Beijing with little kids being used as slave labor. This is a worldwide issue. This is a global issue. And this is this is just taking childhood from people. And this is exploiting people in ways that just are disgusting. So I kind of wanted desperately to do something. I understood the issue much better. And I started researching and I started looking and reading. But I did not have any idea how I could get involved. And so this strange combination of things, and I have to just tell this story because it works with the whole story, but met this incredibly handsome young man, married him, and, and for our wedding, he bought me a pair of sandals that I had seen that really started to help me understand social enterprise. The sandals were made by women in Uganda that without that job of making the sandals, otherwise would have been in very desperate situations. Mm. And I thought, wow, that's a business model I could get behind. And then another wedding gift that I received was a pair of pants from Thailand, actually several pairs of these really fun wraparound pants that my friend brought from Thailand as a wedding gift. And I started getting compliments on these pants. It was crazy. Literally, a woman chased me through a parking lot to ask me about these pants. A TSA agent commented on, I mean, when was the last time a TSA agent commented on your pants? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after all these compliments, I thought, oh, my gosh, this business model, this issue that's global, what if these pants could be the foundation of a business that could help people in these situations? And that's how Made for Freedom was born. And since then, we have, you know, we just, I just started to understand the value of providing jobs, really good, solid, dignified jobs for people in desperate situations, for people who were at risk of exploitation, but also for those who have been rescued. Now, is human trafficking just a fancy word for slavery? Yeah, basically. Okay. Basically. Yeah. So a lot of times people think because of the word trafficking, a lot of times people think it has to do with transporting someone. But that's not the case. It's not it's not taking someone across a border and that that's the offense. The offense is that someone someone is using force, fraud or coercion to obtain some sort of labor or commercial sex act. So someone is manipulating and coercing another person in those areas and is benefiting from someone's labor or their sex. A lot of us are are familiar with, uh, you know, labor in China. A lot of us are familiar with uh, the sex tourism trade in the Philippines or in Thailand. But what about right here in the United States, are, are people aware, or, or maybe you could help increase our awareness of how prevalent or the magnitude of the problem here on our soil? Oh, it's it's definitely happening here, and the the unfortunate thing is it's increasing. It's changing the way 
men who want to buy sex, well, specifically talking about sex trafficking right now, men who are willing to pay for sex and want to do that, they no longer have to go to that part of town where there are women hanging out on street corners. I mean, that does still happen to an extent, but so much of this is moving online. And one, and this, this I think is one of the best documentaries. It's one of the best things that's been put out to help people in the United States get a better understanding of what, what sex trafficking looks like in the United States. And it's called I Am Jane Doe. And this producer just wanted to dig in and she tells the stories of many women, young ladies that thought they were doing one thing. They thought they, you know, had a boyfriend or they thought they were going out with friends or they thought this or they thought that, and it turned into sex trafficking. And it goes into this online platform where girls were being sold every day for sex. And these traffickers were basically posting an ad online. So a lot of legislation has happened since then. And this this was put out about a year and a half ago, but it is still an a very good way just to see what does sex trafficking look like in the United States. But when we talk about trafficking, labor trafficking, sex trafficking, either one, you're really talking about vulnerabilities and the people that are vulnerable to exploitation. Some of those things are extreme poverty. Some of those things are devaluation of the girl child. And like you said, in other countries, it's easier to see some of those. But another thing that some of the other vulnerabilities that, that cause this and make people vulnerable to exploitation are insecurity. And think about it. How many, how many teenage girls are insecure? A hundred percent to varying degrees. But you take that vulnerability. Every, every teenager is insecure to some extent. And then another vulnerability would be lack of support from friends or lack of support from family. So if you've got someone who's insecure and they don't have a very supportive home life, you're talking multiple vulnerabilities. And then if you're talking someone who's in a difficult situation because they come from a poor family, plus they're insecure, plus they don't have support from their family, you're talking, you know, you just add up the vulnerabilities. Well, you've got vulnerabilities and then you've got procurers or perpetrators Mm -hmm. and these people so vulnerabilities is just a situation, but the perpetrators and the procurers are people who are experts at identifying the vulnerabilities. So you take a girl who has decided, oh, my parents don't understand me. I'm going to run away. Well, she thinks that she knows the best. She thinks that she's going to be able to take care of herself. She hops on a bus. She gets off in the, in the new city. She doesn't know her way around. You can see that on her face. You can see that in her body actions. And perpetrators, procurers are hanging out in certain places where there are likely to be people in vulnerable situations. So they're going to approach and say, oh, you look like you need help. Can I help you? Because what they do is they swoop in, they identify, and they swoop in with a promise to meet whatever that need is. And it might be... It might be a Romeo that comes along, a girl who mm-hmm. seems insecure, who doesn't 
look like she's confident in herself, you know, and he might be like, oh, you're beautiful. And, you know, and he just, he, he figures out, okay, what is it that the, that is bothering this person? Mm-hmm. What is this person lacking? I'm going to act like I'm filling that need, which is total deception and a total lie, but it's enough to bring that person into their grasp. And that is a a very valid point. A a lot of us think that when it comes to human trafficking, that there's this van that that pulls up along the street and and snatches the person and and puts them in the van and takes them away. But that's not, I mean, it is the case sometimes, but more than not, it's more of a a soft touch seduction where where they do find someone that they spot as vulnerable, even someone who's from a two-parent household is vulnerable Mm -hmm. because like you said, what's the percentage of of teens that are insecure? 100%. Mm -hmm. And and that means that 100% could be at risk. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes it's pretty obvious, but if you're, you're not really in that mind state, how can you spot someone who's being a victim of trafficking? I would say the best way is through relationship. I mean, I know people that, specifically go to restaurants on a regular basis so that they can kind of build relationships with people at those restaurants or at those salons or, you know, whatever, and just kind of get a better feel. But from a distance, if you are just seeing a situation, some of the things are, they're more difficult to identify because if it's a quick encounter, you can only go so far. But one one thing that you can look for is, is there a younger person with a much older person and it doesn't look like there's any natural relationship? Mm-hmm. And is it someone who is going to be, is this a older man with a much younger male or female? And if you see something like that, you can try to strike up a conversation with the younger person. If, if it is a trafficking situation, the trafficker is not going to want that kid to answer any questions on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, if, it were, if it were a situation like a hospital situation or some sort of official thing like that, you know, asking for ID from the younger one. And if, there, if, if someone doesn't have an ID, if the trafficker is answering for that person, if the trafficker will not allow that person to be alone, that those are really key things that you need to look for. If that person is just totally silent, totally at the mercy of the trafficker, which you're, you're suspecting at this point, we don't know this of a trafficker, but that older person, then that's really, those are some key red flags. The, in the labor trafficking world, a lot of times they don't have any ID because they have the traffickers have taken their IDs and said, okay, you're going to work for us. We will hold on to your ID. But then once they realize, hey, you're not paying me, you're not giving me the compensation you promised, I want to go home or I want to get out of here, then the person, you know, then the trafficker has the ID and says, Oh, well, you, if you don't have an ID, I can call the authorities and you'll be arrested right now. So they're using all of this coercion 
and this manipulation. But those are some things that you can you can identify pretty quickly. If just trying to engage in a conversation with that younger person can sometimes make things very obvious. Mm-hmm. It might trigger the, the trafficker. Okay. Well, we talked a, a little bit about uh, global statistics, but let's talk a little bit about Colorado because it's very important to me that the listeners understand that this isn't a someone else issue, that this is definitely an issue for us, especially here in the Denver metro. Um, some of the figures that, that are finalized are from 2017 as far as the Colorado numbers. Uh, 110 cases reported, uh, 450 calls to police, and that's 2017. Comparing to 2012, 46 cases reported mm-hmm. and only 165 calls to police. Now, you have to keep in mind that these are just what's been reported. This isn't the behind the scenes, right. what's, what's actually happening. But that is a dramatic increase in just five years. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, it is. It's yeah. the fastest growing illegal industry in the world. Yeah. And, of course, you have your, your sex and your labor. And I think that's definitely something that we need to, to stress as well. You have your massage parlors. You, of course, have your resident-based commercial sex, hotel sex online. But you also have people who are being held against their will as forced labor, as slaves, not not in China, not in the Philippines, here. And, and I don't is there something I, I don't know how to make that that issue tangible. I, I just kind of want everyone to understand that that if you see something, maybe you should say something. Right. I mean that's that's the thing. We we are becoming more aware, and especially you know Denver, any city that has multiple interstates running through it is going to be a hub. You know, it, it doesn't matter. It's very much like back in the day when cities were founded because of river transport. You know, that that's a hub because transportation was readily available. Well, rivers still provide some of our transportation, but primarily we're looking at interstates. So if you have multiple interstates running through your city, that is a place where traffickers, one, you're going to have a larger population, two, you're going to have easier access to other places. So some of these, so one girl that was in a safe house, we're based in St. Louis, mm-hmm. and there was a girl that was in a safe house in St. Louis who originally was from California. She responded to a modeling ad so that she could make some money. So she did some modeling for these people. They paid her very well to start with, and then they they just kept her, and they they put her in the world of trafficking. And what they did was they put her in the back of a U-Haul, and they went around from city to city depending on large events. And that was how they made money with her. And she said they spent a lot of time in St. Louis because we're centrally located and we have interstates going to multiple places. And that's, that is the case with any city with multiple interstates. The more popu- the higher your population, the more demand and the more likelihood that they're going to make money off of this girl and the transportation. Uh, what does your organization do to help the victims that you've you found? Well, what we do is 
we come alongside centers that are established and are providing all of those things that are needed for someone who is at risk of exploitation or has been rescued. So we were talking earlier about vulnerabilities Mm -hmm. and then procurers and perpetrators. And then, you know, that promise that really is a lie and ends up in exploitation. Well, if you continue along that line, that next phase for people who are rescued is rescue and restore. And those, that is an essential, that is an essential piece of the puzzle. And that's what we usually think of as safe houses. So rescue and restore provides that safe place, the therapy, the counsel, the legal counsel. But then the next phase, I think we, we forget too often. And that is return and reintegrate. And that is not only providing therapy, providing skills, but it's providing a job because so often people are vulnerable because they are in, they are financially dependent on other people or they're not financially independent. So that is true of being vulnerable, but it's also true of someone who has been exploited So if you take someone who has been exploited, has been living the life of a slave, whether that's a labor slave or sex sex slave, those people need skills and they need a job to get out of that because it is very easy for them to go back. Mm -hmm. And and it's as horrible as it is, if, if that's your comfort zone and if that's where your relationships have been, it's easy to go back and go, okay, it's not the greatest life, but I know, I know how to maneuver my way around this. So it's very difficult for people to come out if they've spent much time at all being exploited. But providing dignified employment, providing a good wage, providing skills to help them further themselves and help them move on in life is absolutely essential. So, sorry, that's a long answer to say we come alongside centers that are providing that life skill, the job training, the therapy but also providing jobs so that these people are being paid a good wage. They are in a safe place and they have dignity because of what they're doing. So a lot of, so pretty much everyone that we work with has a center. They're working with those at risk or those who've been rescued and they're providing all of these things. And these people are working with their hands often, not always, but they come in and they're working with their hands. And if you think about it, Working with your hands is so therapeutic, and you can sit and you can be around other people that understand what you've been through. They understand the things you've dealt with, and these people will often go through this process, and they're kind of learning how to either sew or they're learning to make jewelry. They're also learning how to read and write, and they're learning how to use computers, and then they might develop leadership skills and they might be put in a position of leadership. So they're learning how to manage people. And then they're, they also need pictures of their products so that we can see what they're making. So they're learning photography and they're learning photo editing and they need people to, to take care of the accounting. And so they're learning bookkeeping and they're learning inventory management. So all of the skill sets and all of the things that need to happen within each one of our partners is like it's it's like its own small business. All of the things that need can be learned and need to be done within a small business, these people, the those who are at risk, those who have been rescued, 
are learning all of these skills so that they can move on, so that they can progress in that business, or they can move on to other careers that they've always wanted to do. Every piece of product that we sell is helping provide dignified employment. So we're a little, we're kind of a step away from working directly with the survivors, but the centers around the world reach out to us and say, oh my gosh, we've heard what you're doing. Would you please consider using us as one of your suppliers? We're, we are providing dignified employment for survivors of trafficking, or we're providing dignified employment for this marginalized people group. Half my life is in books. Written pages, lived and learned from fools and from sages. You know it's true, all the good things come back to you. Sing with me, sing for the years, sing for the laughter and sing for the tears. Sing with me, just for the day. Thank you, Don, for giving us a closer look at the background involved with human trafficking. Don Mansky is the CEO of Made for Freedom. Next week, we'll look at solutions, so be sure to tune in. My name is Maria Oliver, and this is Life in Colorado. If you have questions or comments about today's program, please call 303-750-5687. Life in Colorado is a public affairs presentation of Salem Media of Colorado.